Welcome to Because You Need to Know. I am Edwin K. Morse, President and Founder of Pioneer Knowledge Services. This series is your digital resource of valuable conversations with nonprofit and knowledge management enthusiasts from across industries and from around the globe. So my name is John Hovel. excited to be here with you, Edwin. Uh, I live in Washington, D.C., which is the indigenous land of the Manahoac. If I start with the traditional role, as boring as that is, I currently work at a company called Stratactical International. There's two of us that actually formed this organization. I've worked a million years in the field of KM. <laughs> <laughs> I've worked a million years in the field of knowledge management. I have a real passion. I could speak all day, all night, all the time about uh, the fields of knowledge management, organization development, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and what we're now starting to label conversational leadership. I think that's where anything in that space is really exciting. And then because I'm an OD practitioner, the final little intro comment I'll make is one of the things we've learned or I've learned in OD is to sort of not introduce yourself as the roles that you are, as important as they are. It's more to sort of look deeper inside self and so I have what is probably some strange words, but it's been very deep work for me to say, I am loving awareness and I am critical awareness. So if I were to intro in my truest sense, that is John Hovel as I understand this body today. Wow. I don't know where to go with that. That's <laughs> funded, my man. Thank you. Uh, can you just say what OD is for those that may not know? Yes. Um, so, because uh, I assume a lot of this audience knows knowledge management. So, you know, knowledge management is blurred with information management. We, we, we know that. I think that's fair to say. OD, funny enough, is blurred with OD. <laughs> organization development is confused and blurred with organization design. Oh, interesting. When you hear OD, a lot of people think of reorgs and restructures and strategic mm. planning workshops and mm. who's going to get fired. That's OD. I survived the OD is language I've heard for years. That's mm. org design, which is fantastic work. Just like information management is fantastic work. OD, organization development, is applied behavioral sciences. It's taking psychology, sociology, anthropology fields in that space and applying them inside organizations. It's also very heavy on group dynamics. What, what is the dynamic between Edwin and John right now? Is it fit for purpose? Is it healthy? Do we need to intervene? Hmm. Do, what is the group dynamic and looking at it? So that kind of OD. It sounds very contextual. Yes. Sounds very much looking at a lot of things simultaneously and understanding how they affect, uh, how they affect, period. period. Yeah. In yeah. fact, uh, a related field there is gestalt and gestalt uses this mm -hmm. language here and now as opposed to there and yeah. then. It sounds like we've got a whole series waiting to happen around, <laughs> around <laughs> this subject. If you're going to design an organization, what are the key elements that you have to have represented? Wow. Design an organization, what do you have to have represented? Well. And I throw this at you because your you're talk about your roles, people hang their hat on their roles versus maybe more an authentic self kind of view. So if you really had to think about it in that perspective, what are the key elements of that? Yeah, there's so, I love it. Thank you. So much pops up. The paradoxical theory of change is one of my favorites. It states Dr. Arnie Bessie 
something like real change begins when you stop being who you want to be and you start being who you are. Mm-hmm. I love that quote. It, it makes me think every time it, my body and my thoughts shift every time I hear it. That's my first response to what elements should be inside an organization. I think the elements are already there. Notice your resistance for what you're accepting and what you're pushing, what you're trying to be versus what you actually are. I don't know, as strange and as backward as that might sound, I really do think those are the elements, being your best self individually and collectively. That in and of itself takes awareness, right? So how does an organization gain awareness? Mm. So you've got the individual level, you've got the subgroup and interpersonal level, you've got the whole system level. How do you gain awareness at each of those levels? Because they'll be different. Listening, of course, pops up first for me, but it's some kind of listening at multiple levels, listening to the words, listening to the pace and the delivery of the words, listening to my bodily sensations, how I react to that or not, and how challenging that can be. I would also offer uh, being present with. No one of us can take in everything going on. So noticing my own biases of what I did take in and potentially even adding some thought or requesting feedback for, I noticed this, what am I missing? Mm-hmm. What did you notice that is similar or different to what I noticed? So these are all elements of a self-awareness paradigm that is continually learning, not only just learning, the listening is the key ingredient to learning, but the adaptability to not buffer your biases, but be understandable of maybe your reactions and not your deeper understanding. So where does that come into play for an organization? Which part coming into play? I keep wanting to go back to how does an organization become self-aware? So I understand Uh, the paradigm of an individual going through this, but how do you build an organization that is constantly learning adaptable, I'm sure all these parts and pieces of development and or design, these pieces have to be, should be there in some form or fashion. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, (laughs) uh, quoting Kurt Lewin, he said all, he said something to the effect of all theories are wrong, but some are helpful. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I love that. Which I appreciate. Yes. Uh, So there is a model in conversational leadership that is wrong, but maybe it's helpful. (laughs) It says something like, start with, so back to this, uh, how do you build awareness? I don't know, is really what I should be my honest answer, (laughs) but (laughs) let me try. Uh, And I don't have the model memorized either, so it's even funnier. (laughs) But it's something (laughs) like, start with shared leadership as opposed to individual leadership. Even just step one in the model can be a challenge for many people, for many groups, for many organizations. What does shared leadership look like? Mm-hmm. Henry Mintzberg calls that community ship. Hmm. It's a different thing than leadership, similar, but different. And then the model, let me see if I can quickly run through it. It's something like shared leadership in the shared body. So not just a single person, but what do all of us feel, think, say, right. do. Then it moves to check for context. What am I aware of in this moment? What is everyone else aware of? And actually discussing some some biases, some preferences, and what we noticed. Then I think the next step is something like check my options, which sounds so simple, but I know for me, I tend to 
move quite quickly and not pause. What did, um, I'm dropping a lot of quotes here. Viktor Frankl said, between stimulus and response, there's a space. Mm. In that space lies our power and our power lies our freedom. That space between stimulus and response can be larger than you think. And so I think this awareness that you're asking about, check for options. And then, sorry, one last one is check for congruence. So if I can pause or slow down, check my options, check the context, now I can check for congruence, meaning am I being true to myself? Am I doing it because of the context? Am I being true to someone else? Where is the congruence with the options and the choices that I just made? So I don't know. That's my awareness. I love it. As you're speaking, I'm I'm hearing the dichotomy of what is commonly referred to as founderism, right? Like I've, I founded this company and I've had to make all the decisions myself. That tendency to own all decisions, all outcomes has a break point or a shift that has to happen in order to scale, in order to change mm-hmm. from a one, two person shop, so to speak, to many. And I think the founderism in my own understanding would be a polar opposite of everything you just said. And I think that's where the twist is. I think that's where the bind is when you're trying to get a small organization to go in a different direction or bigger direction. Because a lot of those mechanical pieces that created what is becomes crutches for what could be. And you need to kick off the crutches and reframe the whole paradigm in order to become this adaptable, learnable model. So that's brilliant. I I love that. Thank you. No, thank you. Thanks. Uh, I'm enjoying this. Yeah. Well, you sound surprised. Uh. <laughs> in this organizational world, and if you think of it in a biological framework, everything is part of an organization, whether they want to be or not, mm. of some sort. And if we look at a contrived or constructed organization that's built by humans, such as an LLC or a corporation or, or what have you, a partnership, what would be your one piece of advice to someone that is thinking in the entrepreneurial world to create something that is not there now as a business, as a practice, as a, whatever you want to label it, to create an organization? Mm. What would be your one... And pull back all the curtains between knowledge management, OD1, OD2, all, all those parts and pieces. Wow. Love it. Yeah. This would be a fun one, you know, to discuss between us and with full groups. I, you'll see my reliance on my intelligence and my crutches. I use for models, but I do love them. It's, it's my truth for now. So uh, I absolutely believe in the the follow your passion or the the dig deep and and uh, being your true self as best you know how. Absolutely, I also believe in supply and demand and listening. What is the market ready for? How do you frame it? I've heard all these stories about people that started. Let, let's go to knowledge management. Started knowledge management companies and wanted to do KM strategy, and then a customer came to them and said, "I have money for mentoring." do you do mentoring? Well, yes, I do. Right. Like, and shifting the whole company to become a mentoring company, not a, that kind of, so supply and demand and, and what's out there. One of the models that I really love is the Tracy and Weersma 
model that talks about customer intimacy, product leadership or service leadership, and operational excellence. And admittedly, that's sort of one step past what you're asking for, like how do you get started and that kind of stuff. But uh, it's worked in our case, and I've seen it work inside organizations where if you can have that discussion with yourself and with others, do you want to be better, faster, or cheaper? Where is your real passion? What I've learned is discretionary effort, the nights and weekends or the between meetings, if you're really clear on we're customer intimate, we are we're better is the you know unfortunate language there. We're bespoke. We're des- we're custom designing for one customer, one client, one taxpayer, one warfighter, one member, whatever your stakeholder is called. So it's it's custom. Or are we faster? Are we product leader, service leader? We're we're selling new. We're selling first. I think that's really helpful to know that mm-hmm. you have to have version one, then version two, then version three. Exactly. And then the last one is operational excellence. That's the one where one size fits all and we're going to survive based on mass, based mm-hmm. on volume and quantity. And that's a different discretionary effort. That's a different model. So Tracy and Weir's my value discipline, mm. I guess is my, my answer. Well, that's a great way to think about that. What is the, and I'll just transcribe it or transfer it to just value driven. What's the value you want to provide as that entrepreneur? What's your, what's your magic thing you're going to provide your skill set, your expertise, your innovation, your whatever that is. What's, what's the value that's extracted and what's useful? I mean, really what's useful. Sure. What's your definition? What's John's definition of knowledge management? I love that um, you and I are doing these questions on the fly. (laughs) I really do, because you could ask me that question every day and we'd be a little bit different. Optimize the flow of knowledge is John Hovel's definition of, of, of knowledge management. And right up there with it is it is our role, it is our commissioning to understand a situation, to understand an environment, and create an environment or sustain an environment or an ecosystem where knowledge can flow. So creating an environment for knowledge to flow or optimizing the flow of knowledge. So you can tell my biases. I I see knowledge stocks and information stocks, and I see knowledge flows. And my personal bias is towards the, 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 the complexity and the challenge of flow of knowledge. I see that as the environment, right? It's, it's, it's either an environment that inhibits or expands or it's the environmental factors that affect the flow, mm. period. So thank you for that. Well, thank you for coming and sharing your knowledge and your expertise and your passion in this little digital fire around knowledge management. Thank you, Edwin. Because You Need to Know is designed to bring people's experience and their knowledge forward to be shared. I'm Edwin K. Morris, and I thank you for joining in to listen to another conversation brought to you as a public service of Pioneer Knowledge Services, a nonprofit tax exempt organization with a charitable knowledge management purpose. Find us online at pioneer ks.org and add your voice to the conversation on Facebook. <laughs>